This is, uh, as we come up to Christmas, this is the time of redemption. Uh, redemption is a key theme for me. You know, um, redemption, what, what does redemption mean to you? Anyone here? To redeem something. Probably one of the most famous passages in the scripture about redemption is this. It comes out of the story of Joseph uh, way back in the old days. Forgive me. I don't have COVID. I just, my mask came over for a little bit. Sorry. I probably didn't even tell you all that. Okay. Anyway, so one of the most famous, uh, famous stories in scripture is that story of Joseph um, back in the Old Testament. And you remember how uh, Joseph was sold into slavery, and uh, he was totally out of his element. He had his own plans about how life would go. He was uh, he was the silver spoon boy in, in his family, um, and uh, he was a little arrogant and a little whatever else. Anyway, his uh, his brothers uh, didn't take that kindly, and so they sold him into slavery. And that initiated a journey for Joseph into bondage and into places that he didn't plan to go. And Joseph, uh, we have record that he fought that a little bit. You know, he tried to get himself out of jail. He tried to defend himself. He tried to whatever. And yet, he also rolled with what happened. Well, Lord, I'm in your hands. Okay. We don't ever see Joseph abandoning his relationship with God. No, actually, the first time we see somebody getting angry at God for what happened is Adam. <laughs> the woman you gave me, right? Genesis 3. First sin happens, the immediate reaction is, Joseph, or is, uh, is Adam blaming God for doing it. You know? So, but we don't see that in Joseph. We see Joseph, yes, fight the situation, but somehow Joseph always, he always said, well, you know, okay, Lord, I'm in your hands. I guess if I'm in jail, that's what I'm doing. And he did what he could do in that place. And he was so good at what he did that, well, the jailer finally just handed the jail over to him. Right? And Joseph became the jail administrator. Um, who'd have thought? Anyone way one day, God in his plans, which interestingly enough, God did not explain his plans to Joseph. Who you're, you're aware of a plan of God in your life. There are some of us, we have walked stuff. And when you look back, and this is the interesting thing about, about following God. When you look back, oftentimes you can see how the hand of God has guided you. When you're looking forward, not so much. You know, what's going to happen? You're freaking out. <laughs> and then you get through it and you look back and go, oh, yeah, the Lord took me there. You know, got to be careful about sharing testimonies because sometimes testimonies sound very dramatic on the back end. But going in, they're terrifying. So, so it was with Joseph, right? Joseph, he, uh, he, he walked through this, and he never turned away from God. And, uh, and he just always, well, okay, Lord, I will do what I have to do. And the day came when God brought him out of prison and put him in front of Pharaoh and gave him a prophetic word for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, who is like this man? Boom, puts him in charge of the kingdom. And as we follow the story forward, we see how Joseph ended up with his brothers standing in front of him. 
Famine had hit the land of uh, Israel over Canaan, I guess, prior to it being Israel, the land of Canaan. And jo uh, Joseph's dad, Jacob, sent all the boys to go get food in Egypt. And they showed up in Egypt to get food. They ended up standing in front of Joseph. And at the end of the day, there was forgiveness. At the end of the day, there was redemption. At the end of the day, we find that Joseph became the one who saved his family from famine. Now looking at the front end of that whole thing, going in, you never would have seen any of that stuff. But looking back at it from the far side, having gone through it, you go like, oh, this is how God was working. And that's sometimes how we see God working. We have to look back at what has been done. You know, just like I was talking with Daniel, or, or, or with Jackson here, uh, about Daniel and about all these guys, right? Uh, when, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, God wanted them to remember what he had done for them. Why? Because God knows our tendency to drift. He knows our tendency to, to forget what has been done for us. And so he gave them the traditions of Passover to remember what the Lord your God did for you back in the day. As we remember what God has done for us, it creates faith in us to anticipate that God will do more good things, that we are still in the hands of God, that regardless of the initial situation, the immediate situation that we're in, God will continue his work among us if we will just trust him. You know, in my prayers uh, this week, one of the things, the verses that came to me was Jesus uh, speaking, and he says, you know, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith in the earth? Somebody came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what should we do? What are the works of God that we should do? These are the Jews, right? I think it's John chapter 8. What are the works of God? And Jesus said, the works are, of God are this, that you would believe in the one whom he has sent, that you will trust the one that he has sent. You know, a lot of us, we know all the information about Jesus, but the trusting part is hard. Will you put your child in my hands? Will you put your business in my hands? Will you put your ministry in my hands? Will you put your wife or your husband in my hands? Will you do what I have asked you to do? That's the other thing that's been coming to me here this week. You know, instead of bellyaching about whatever's going on, will you obey me? We don't hear the word obey much in our society. Funny, actually, because, you know, I went to Africa. I know I've told this story before. And this woman comes and asks me some, uh, it was an African woman, she comes and asks me some advice about a relationship. I said, it's a bad relationship. You should dump the guy. That was just my opinion. <laughs> I'm expressing my opinion, right? She took me serious. Came back two days later, he is gone. And, and she's like, pastor, Mungo Baba, my great father, he is gone. I'm going like, what do you mean he's gone? Well, you told me to get rid of him, he is gone. Are you kidding me? You mean you did what I told you? I, I'm blown away. In a as a pastor in Canada, people don't obey you that way. Well, I can give my opinion, but it's like, fine, I'll take it or not. You go over to some of these other places, it's just like, no, you're way up here. They, they do what you tell them. Okay? You know, God says, will you obey me? Jesus said in, uh, you know, in my friends, if you are my friends, you will do what I tell you. I always thought, you know what? That's not the best way to run a friendship. 
hey, Cheryl, you're my friend, and do what I tell you, right? And Cheryl's going like, not yours, right? Well, maybe she's, maybe she's not saying it, but she might be thinking it. I better stop talking about Cheryl right now. Anyway, you know, but this whole, this, if you're my friend, then do what I tell you. What's that mean? What Jesus is describing in that statement is Jesus is saying, if you are truly my friend, you will trust me. That's what friends do. Friends trust one another. I have a friend. I hope I've got more than one friend. But I think about my old friend from Saskatoon. I grew up next door to this friend. Him and I were best friends. We were best men together. And I trust him. I trust him with everything. And if he said, I need you to do this, I would trust his heart for me because we've been friends long enough. You get what I'm saying? Jesus is not saying you, you, if you're my friend in a petulant way, you will do what I tell you. Jesus is saying, if you are my friend, you will trust me and you will do what I tell you because you will know that when you do what I tell you, the kingdom of God is pouring through you into this land. Will you do what I tell you? That's a challenge for us. Will we do what he tells us? So this idea of obeying him, that's been in my heart this week. What does Jesus ask you to do? You know, it's interesting because I think about the Israelites. You remember us, they came out of the, uh, as they came out of uh, Egypt. They were led in pretty much a straight line across the wilderness. And several times God told them to do stuff. And they didn't do it. They didn't want to do it, right? Um, the, the, the big one that they did do was cross the Red Sea. But then they got to the river of Jordan. They were told to cross the river of Jordan. They didn't cross the river of Jordan because they were too scared to do so. They didn't trust that there was something in there. They looked at that land across the other side of the river of Jordan. They said, it's too big for us. The people are too fierce, blah, blah, blah. They did not trust their God. And so they refused to cross over. It's interesting that it says that the way God dealt with that is he let uh, that unbelieving generation die in the wilderness. And then he brought their children back to the same crossing point. You got to cross here. I always often wondered, why didn't he just take them, you know, why couldn't they just go downstream? There are better crossing points downstream from where, he, from where you know, Jericho was. I mean, Jericho was a fortress city. It was dangerous. What, what? we're going to walk across straight into that? And they didn't have a lot in the way of weapons either. Yeah. Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, brought them back. The Spirit of God brought them back to that same crossing point a generation later. Cross here. Why? You know, folks, uh, Martin Luther, when I think about Luther, one of his emphases is in Scripture. When he approached Scripture, he says, this, this book, this set of writings is designed to create faith in us. When we're in that basement yesterday proclaiming the problem of porn teachings, we spent five, six hours unpacking scripture because Romans says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And faith is actually the ability to trust God. Will you do what I ask you to do, says God. 
If you are my friend, says Jesus, you will do what I ask you to do. You will obey me. You will trust that I have your best interest in mind and that I want to work through you and that I want to redeem something through you. And you will step forward when I ask you to step forward. The Israelites, the first generation, they didn't trust God. They didn't step forward. The second generation stepped forward. So, you know, with that in mind, this is a season of redemption. And I want to read to you again the story of Mary. And it says this, at this time, uh, let's see here. Okay, here we go. Here we go, me and, my, me and my, my eyes here. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town of Galilee. So just like I was talking with Jackson, the Lord picks the angel and he picks Gabriel. He, he picks the angel, one of his archangels, one of his most powerful angels, and he sends Gabriel to Mary. Um, Mary didn't, we don't see Mary praying for this angel to come. And that's the interesting thing, you know, one of the things that, that I have often prayed, I've often prayed, Lord, please move among your people. And oftentimes I've felt like, you know, I'm the one that, that, that God wants to take the initiative. And God says, I don't need anyone to take the initiative. I take my own initiatives. And that's one of the things about obedience. When we obey God, we're not just asking God to bless what we want God to do. As though we are here to decide what should happen in this community. And oh God, please bless what we want to have happen here. That's not the way it is in this story. God already has his plans. God knows what he wants to do and God initiates and he sends the angel to start the ball rolling in this situation. So he sent the angel uh, to Nazareth, town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be buried to a man named Joseph. The virgin, that means she's never slept with anyone. She is physically still a virgin. She is not pregnant uh, and uh, she's pledged to be married to Joseph. Back in the day, a marriage pledge, when you got engaged, was a legally binding thing. And to, to break off an engagement, you actually had to get divorced. So, she was already committed. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The angel reveals himself to her. And that's the first thing that I want to I say about this story. There is a revelation when God comes to us to do something amazing. God comes to us and he reveals something to us. He just doesn't cut us loose and say, okay, you go and set up my kingdom on the earth. He reveals something of himself and his plans. And that's what he does to Mary. He knows that what he's going to do with Mary is beyond what she can hope or think. And he has to prepare her for it. So he reveals himself to her. Then he goes on and he says this, Greetings you who are highly favored. You know, and that's one of the proclamations of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. He said the year of God's favor is upon us. This is one of the things that I pray for on a regular basis. And some of those prayer sheets I handed out to you guys a number of months ago, there's this little acronym in there, uh, FOPWP. We pray for favor. That's the, top, that's the first thing we pray for. That God will give us favor. I remember, you know, preaching in uh, Africa, and uh, the authorities weren't let us going to preach publicly because every time they had public meetings, there was violence would break out. 
And so we're all praying, dear Jesus, and they wouldn't give us permission. And our, we have to plan to do these events. So we kept planning, we kept preparing, we kept spending the money, and they wouldn't give us permission. Finally, we land over there at Bukavu, and uh, my associate over there, Pastor Raha, he says, my brother, he says, do you want to know what God has done? Well, yeah. Well, we're preaching tomorrow. As of today, the mayor has given us uh, favor, given us permission. We pray for favor. Well, God says, my favor is upon you. When God is about to do something in your life, it is an expression of his favor. That means God is for you. He's not against you. You don't have to twist God's arm. You just have to offer yourself to him and rejoice in the fact that his favor is on you. You know, I think about my coming here. I've wondered, Lord God, why am I back here in Stony Plain? I let this place go, and yet God has me and my wife back here. And we don't know exactly what he's going to do, and we don't know how he's going to... Yeah, we don't. But we do know this. His favor is upon us. And you know what? Whatever you're going to do, Lord, you do. Right? Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And I find it interesting that when God comes uh, through the angel Gabriel and he declares uh, that God's favor is upon her and that the Lord is with her, that's a, that's a messed up sort of thing to say to somebody back then. Because uh, back then, Mary would have been trained that if the presence of God was with her, it would kill her. Back in the old days, you did not enter into the presence of God without dying. So the presence of God came through the angel, right? Um, the Lord is with you. And, and Mary's response is she was greatly troubled. She was highly perplexed, like, what is going on here? She didn't just sort of throw the door open and say, welcome in. This, is, this messed her up a little bit, and it caused a fear reaction in her. I want to say this to you. When God comes into your life and he begins to do something, especially when God comes in to take over your life. Again, I want to emphasize, God has not just asked us to pray that he would bless what we want to do, as though we're the ones that set the agenda. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, you will pray this way. Lord, thy kingdom come, your power come, your will be done. We will do it your way, O Lord, not my way. And so it is with Mary. God comes to have his way with Mary. And Mary is like, whoa, are you kidding me? And she is perplexed and she is troubled. Just like many of us have been. But I love Mary's response, right? Let's go a little farther. The angel said to her, actually, do not be afraid. So the angel speaks to her fear reaction. Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. And then he prophesies over her, this is what God's, God's going to do with you. And you will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So in this moment, we have the revelation of God's presence. We have the fear reaction. We have the reassurance of the angel. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. Favor of God is upon you. And then we have a revelation. God has a purpose with you. 
You got to understand this. When God begins to reveal himself, he doesn't give you everything. He doesn't tell you the next six months or nine months in detail or the next 10 years. He gives you enough to prepare you to walk the next step of the journey. I guess I shouldn't say he doesn't tell you about the next six months because he just committed married to nine months. <laughs> anyway, right? Anyway, you get what I'm saying? So, he reveals to Mary, you are going to have a child. And much like Joseph, Joseph is like sold into slavery, boom. Uh, I, guess, I guess I'm history, all my life dreams are gone. Well, maybe I can still redeem this. He works hard for Potiphar. Then he gets shot to jail. Oh, I guess it is over. <laughs> and he signs off his life. Lord, I'm in your hands. Mary's the same way. The angel comes and proclaims to her something that is flat out impossible. And if I was Mary, I think I would have been one of those people like Zechariah. If you read the prior, prior part of the story. How will this be? How will this ever happen? I'm an old man. My wife's an old woman. This can't happen. Zechariah responded with lack of belief. Interesting thing about Zechariah in the, in the early part of the story. The angel actually said to him, you know what, because you didn't believe, we're going to cork you up. Didn't quite say it that way. That's my redneck interpretation, right? You are losing your voice. You're going to be silent until the day of its fulfillment. But God, in his purpose, said, I will do it in you anyway. And there was a child born um, to Elizabeth. Now he comes to Mary, and Mary has a fear reaction, and God promises this impossible thing. And the interesting thing about Mary, you know, I mean, for me, I've had a couple of times where I felt like God has promised impossible things, and it's interesting for me, my reaction, the fear thing, I resonate with. How is this ever going to happen? My goodness, God, you're asking me to do what? You're freaking me out. Stress levels through the roof, boom, right? Next thing I start doing is I start trying to set it up to make it happen. Okay, well, if God's going to do this in me, then I better get cracking. I better get this in place and this in place and this in place. And it's sort of funny when I start doing that kind of stuff because oftentimes it doesn't work out. When you are setting yourself up to try to make the kingdom come or make God's will happen in your life, often it doesn't work out. Why? Because God wants the glory of making it happen, right? God wants to show his love for us by doing the impossible himself. You know, so he comes to Mary. And the interesting thing of Mary is Mary's simple. Mary doesn't overthink it, apparently. Um, Mary does ask, how will this be since I'm the virgin? How can this happen? She knows how babies are made. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Well, this is where we get into how Jesus was conceived. God came and poured himself into this person, his son, Jesus. He came to live among us as a man, as a human, as a person. He came to experience the same temptations, the same testings. You know, Hebrews 4 talks about Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. We talked about that yesterday in the problem of porn. And so I said, let's make a list of our temptations. How are we tem tempted? Anger, hate, judgment, gossip, control, sexual temptation. Hold it! Jesus was not tempted sexually. Yes, he was. Because that's what the Word says. 
He knows what we have gone through in everything that we have struggled with. He is compassionate because he's experienced the temptation. And yet it says he did not sin. He never gave in to it. He defeated those sins. And then offers us forgiveness. Because it's his to, his to give. When Jesus offers us forgiveness, he offers us his innocence. He makes us stand clean in the presence of God because it's his to give. And he does so because he loves us. And that is what the angel is forecasting right here. He said, God has come to choose, has chosen to come to live among us, and he's going to use your womb to come into this world. And so how was Jesus conceived? It says the Holy Spirit rested on the womb of Mary and, and she conceived. The Holy Spirit created the fetus of Jesus in Mary. We don't know how all that happened. But because the Holy Spirit did that, Jesus was born pure and clean and without guilt. None of his own sin to pay for and he was able to pay for our sin with his innocence. So the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He will do all this in you. And, and the one born to you will be called the Son of God. And he says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I want to encourage you. When you think about the impossibilities in your life, it's not up to you to fix them. It's up to you to obey what God gives you to obey. Sometimes it's not so easy to obey because the obedience collides with our own baggage. It can collide with our own anger. It can collide with our codependency, whatever it is. It's not easy. And sometimes when we look at what God has called us to do, we think to ourselves, this is impossible. And the assurance of God is this, I will do in you what I have purposed to do. <coughs> For nothing will be impossible with God. This is the power of the resurrection of Jesus already being forecast. That Jesus was physically lifted from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the impossible was done among us. That Christ came and he appropriated our sins and our guilt and our shame. Like we said yesterday on the line in the problem of porn. That Christ has come and he has appropriated our sin, our porn addiction. The pictures in our heads, the filth in our hearts, he has taken it on himself. And he's broken those powers. We told the story of a guy who came <laughs> to that crazy porn seminar. He told me later, he said, porn's not my issue. He says, nicotine addiction is my issue. Came to that crazy porn seminar and he said, you know, for me, God was speaking to me about my nicotine addiction. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I, this thought was in my head. And the thought said this, and it was really loud, and it said, you are no longer a smoker. And he laughed and went back to sleep. Then in the morning, his wife woke him up, and she's a smoker too. She looks at him, she says, 
Let's go for a smoke. He says, God told me in the middle of the night I'm no longer a smoker. She laughs. She cracks up. She says, I've seen this before. You're lying to me. And you're doing a bunch of that positive proclamation crap. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. She did everything she could to entice him for two weeks to take a smoke. And he said, you know what? I didn't have to fight her. He said the desire was gone. What happened? And she, at the end of two weeks, she's going like, something happened. This is not my husband. God has moved. And then she said, I woke up in the middle of the night. And there was this voice in my head and it said, you're next. <laughs> and without a word of a lie, they're friends of mine. Her habit was, his habit was 30 years, her habit was 40 years. And she said it was gone. You know what? I wish I could patent that particular thing right there and make that happen for everybody. That was the way God moved on their lives. He did the impossible. My friends, <laughs> my brothers, my sisters. When God comes, he comes to do the impossible. We don't have to make it happen. We do have to obey. And I want to take you to Mary's uh, response. You know, in the Protestant church, we don't teach too much about Mary, but Mary was an amazing woman. You know, um, over and over as we read about Mary, we read about how she treasured these things in her heart. She would hear things about her son, Jesus, and she would treasure them in her heart. And I want to say to you that Mary's heart was an incubator of faith. She didn't try to make it happen. She remembered it. She treasured it in her heart. And God brought it to pass. And she marveled. Whoa. Right? What does Mary say? She says, I am the Lord's servant. In some translations it will say, I am the Lord's maidservant. Like the picture is a lowly person. I have one purpose as a servant. It is to serve. It is to do whatever you tell me. And I will do it. I am the Lord's servant. He's, she says, may it be to me as you have said. Some translations will say, may it be done to me as you have said. She says, God, you want me. We talked about this yesterday again in some of the teaching coming out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we talked about how to be free from sin. We talked about this idea of being the property of God. In that passage, we, took, we, we read what Paul said. He said, you have been bought and you have been paid for. You are no longer your own. This idea that we belong to God, we are God's property. You got to know some stuff about property. Use property when it's picked up by a new owner. It always comes with garbage. The property only buys the garbage when he buys the property. That means all the sin, if God has bought you, all the sin, all the porn, all the lust, all the anger, all the control that is in you, all now belongs to God. Somebody says, well, that didn't come from God. That's not what I said. It belongs to him because he bought it because you belong to him. And the third thing you gotta know about used property is property doesn't clean itself up. God cleans up his own property. So, okay, Lord, <laughs> I belong to you. And this is what Mary's saying. Lord, I belong to you. I am your maidservant. I have no rights. Do to me what you will do. 
kind of surrender is incredible. Do you know what Mary gave up in that moment? Well, I'll tell you, the little bit that I know about Mary, the little bit that I know about the culture of the day, the moment Mary said yes to that, she said yes to being pregnant without having a husband. Because back in the day, you would get engaged, you would become betrothed, that betrothal would last for a year, but there was no consummation of the marriage until the wedding day. So here she was, she was completely off limits. She was as off limits as you can get. And she said, I will give that up. And she knew that the moment she gave that up, she would be judged in her community. You know, folks, when we say yes to Jesus, there's always a trade-off. You know, I think about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Lord, I'm scared of eternity. I don't know where I'm going if I die. I want eternity. I want to go to heaven. And Jesus said, your life is ultimately selfish and you have to trade your selfish life for eternity. Will you do it? And the young man said, no, the cost is too high. One of the reasons why we often don't, times don't experience the joy of God, because we are hanging on to the selfish life. The story of the rich young ruler is not a story against money. It's a story against selfishness. Are you willing to trade the selfishness for the call of God on your life? And God will make it clear what he wants from you. And if you are willing, as Mary was willing, Lord, I am your maidservant. Fellas, this is how you need to pray. Dear Lord, and I'm not, we're not talking anything about gay, <laughs> being gay. Lord, I am your maidservant. Because the issue is not a gender issue. It's a lowly issue. James says, when we humble ourselves before God, he pours more grace to us. Why? Because he can. A humble person is a person that is ready to receive like Mary was. What she did was amazing. And what came out of that was amazing. Because today we worship and we remember our Savior. Today, those of us who have walked our lives in our own strength can say, Jesus, I can't do this anymore. I offer my struggle to you. And we can experience the peace of God that passes all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds. I don't know how to end this room, this, this little talk, this preach, whatever you want to call it. But you know what? As we come into Christmas, maybe it's not a sermon to be ended. Maybe it's the beginning of a journey into deeper freedom. Maybe it's the beginning of a journey into deeper surrender. Maybe it's a new awareness that you don't belong to yourself, you belong to Christ. And that there is only one response that can be made if you would follow him. Lord, I'm your maidservant. Be it done to me as you have said. I don't know what God's got in your, on your, your heart. And I don't know what you're struggling to control or what you're struggling to manipulate or what you're struggling to compensate for. But along with the call of Joseph, along with the call of the Israelites to cross the Jordan, along with the call of Mary, I want to call you today, as I stand here today as well, and the call comes to me, 
Can we surrender yet again to Christ? Can we say to him, Lord, I belong to you. I am your maidservant. Be it done to me as you will. And then can we let God unpack in our lives and our community what he wants? That is the call of this Sunday as we lead into Christmas. I want to invite you all to pray with me. We're going to take a moment of time to bow our hearts. We are in the place of Mary. We are in the place where the angel has come and he has spoken and he has said, I want your life. God wants your life. And there are two responses, no or yes. We don't know what that looks like, but we don't need to know. If we are the friends of Jesus, we will trust him. And we will say, Lord, do with us as you will. I want to open with a word of prayer, and then I just want to lead you in a prayer of corporate surrender to the call of God in this time. God Almighty, we come before you. We tell you we love you. Father, I say that over and over again. Every time I open a prayer, I say that. But it's true. And I don't know what else to say. Just like the, the cherubim around the throne call back and forth, holy, holy, holy are you. What else do you say? Lord, you have called us. Your word speaks down through the generations, down through the millennia, and your spirit sharpens it and plunges it into our reality, into our hearts, our minds, and you call us. And you say to us, if you are my friends, you will obey me. Father, we are your friends. Jesus, we are your friends. We trust you. Come and open our hearts. By the power of your Holy Spirit, move upon us. Bring us to that place of deepening surrender where we can be free. And where where you can use us as you will. Lord, we come in repentance, where we have wandered back into our own strength, where we have drifted away, where there are fightings and fears within us. We come to return to you to repent. That is the call spoken to Jeremiah. If you return, I will restore you, says the Lord. So we come. In this moment of quiet, I want to invite you to bow your hearts before God. And I want to invite you to let the struggle that you carry come to the surface. Whatever that struggle is, whatever you're trying to do in your own strength, whether it be in your church, whether it be in your family life, whether it be in your business. The call of Christ is to let it come to the surface and then to let him into it. We take a moment of quiet.
It's going to be a repentance prayer, a prayer of surrender. All you have to do is mean it. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, I come to you as I am. I come to make the response of Mary. As you reveal yourself to me, I surrender to you. Forgive me. Well, for where I have walked in my own strength. For where I have fought this life on my own. I can't do it any longer. I now offer myself to you. I say that I am the friend of God and I am ready to obey. Along with Mary, I say, I am the Lord's maidservant. Be it done to me as you will. Jesus, I have carried my struggles. Forgive me. I now invite you into my struggle. Into my sin. Into my inability to trust you. And I say yes to you there. Again, I am the Lord's maidservant. May it be done to me as you say. In Jesus' name. Amen. As a called and ordained minister in the Church of Christ, I carry the authority that has been given to me by Jesus. Just as you carry the authority that he has given you. And I speak to you in his name, and I say to you that your sins are forgiven. Come, Lord, Holy Spirit, now be poured out upon us in this place and out across the internet, wherever we are, wherever there's a heart responding to you. Come, Lord, Holy Spirit. Sweep into the place where we have carried our sin and we have carried our lives on our own strength and fill us in that place. We give you our present. We give you our future. Live through us. And so we thank you.